gentlemen, it's time for the Liberty Cast with Big E, the man who makes the founders seem like moderates. Hey, what's up, y'all? Welcome to the Liberty Cast. I'm your host, Big E. I trust everybody had a happy Thanksgiving. I hope everybody uh, made it home safe and sound if you were traveling. I can imagine that there were quite a bit of fireworks around some tables uh, this Thanksgiving. I actually spent some time with my family over the weekend, uh, but uh, nothing like that happened. We're all pretty much uh, in agreement when it comes to the political climate these days. Despite the fact that there was uh, that it was a short holiday week, uh, there's still a lot to get to. Uh, so we're going to talk about um, Justice Roberts and his ridiculous nonsense about uh, there not being any difference between judges appointed by Trump as opposed to Obama. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, this case that uh, got thrown out in Michigan uh, of uh, female genital mutilation. And uh, I'm also going to talk about uh, Bill Maher and some of his comments about uh, someone that I uh, held in high regard uh, for a number of reasons, Stan Lee. Um, that's going to be a pretty nerdy uh, comic book segment, but uh, bear with me because I think it will. Uh, I think you'll. I think you'll find it uh, enlightening. And then if we have some time, uh, we'll talk about uh, Hillary. Ivanka, the caravan, and uh, maybe a few other things if we uh, if we have the time. So uh, that is the rundown. So let's uh, let's go ahead and dive right in. Want to ring the bell? Ding ding. So the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals uh, issued a temporary restraining order blocking uh, the Trump administration's plan to uh, restrict asylum seekers at the southern border. And in response to that restraining order. Donald Trump let him have it when he was asked about it by reporters. Well, you go to the Ninth Circuit and it's a disgrace and I'm going to put in a major complaint because you cannot win if you're us a case in the Ninth Circuit. And I think it's a disgrace when people file every case gets filed in the Ninth Circuit because they know that's not law. That's not what this country stands for. Every case that gets filed in the Ninth Circuit we get beaten and then we end up having to go to the Supreme Court like the travel ban and we won. The Ninth Circuit, we're going to have to look at that because every case, no matter where it is, they file it practically. I mean practically for all intents and purposes. They file it in what's called the Ninth Circuit. This was an Obama judge. And I'll tell you what, it's not going to happen like this anymore. Everybody that wants to sue the United States, they file their case in almost. They file their case in the Ninth Circuit. And it means an automatic loss, no matter what you do, no matter how good your case is. And the Ninth Circuit is really something we have to take a look at because it's, because it's not fair. People should not be allowed to immediately run to this very friendly circuit and file their case. And you people know better than anybody what's happening. It's a disgrace, in my opinion. It's a disgrace what happens with the Ninth Circuit. We will win that case in the Supreme Court of the United States. Another slightly hyperbolic statement from the president, to be sure. But for all intents and purposes, the, the spirit of that is, is accurate. But in response to that statement, uh, Justice Chief Justice Roberts issued this statement. We do not have Obama judges or Trump judges, Bush judges or Clinton judges. 
what we have is an extraordinary group of dedicated judges doing their level best to do equal right to those appearing before them. That independent judiciary is something that we should all be thankful for. What is he smoking? Any sentient being with two brain cells to rub together understands that there are Bush, Clinton, Obama, and Trump judges. Judges have ideological views and they interpret the law and the Constitution from those perspectives. It was also pointed out to me recently that judges are in fact political animals. In some jurisdictions, they're actually elected. But having political aspirations is how they end up on the radar to be selected for some of these high-profile judgeships and being selected for the Supreme Court. I had never heard or thought about that before, but it makes sense. Now let's for a second examine what Roberts actually said. If the person appointing these judges and justices was of no consequence, why did the American communists fight so hard and dirty to stop Judge Kavanaugh's appointment to the Supreme Court? Why did the Republicans refuse to meet with Merrick Garland when Obama appointed him? Why do we hear about lawyers judge shopping? Why does the Ninth Circuit Court have the reputation for being the most liberal court in the country? Yeah, yeah, I know it's not the most overturned court by percentage of cases, but in terms of raw numbers, more of that court's cases have been overturned by the Supreme Court. But to hear Roberts tell it, none of that political maneuvering should matter because all judges interpret the Constitution the same way. And of course, that's just absurd from a judicial perspective, but it's also silly from a basic human perspective. I mean, we're all, everybody's different, despite what the left would have us believe. Even judges from the same political persuasion, whether conservative or progressive, don't see things the same way all the time. People's experiences, education, upbringing, etc., all play a role in how we see the world. And this statement from Roberts tells us a lot about where he is politically. When, when he was nominated, I wasn't paying a whole lot of attention to judicial nominees and the records of these nominees and the like. But a number of people back then told me that they didn't trust Roberts and uh, the notion that he would actually be a conservative presence on the Supreme Court was unlikely. And this actually makes sense when you understand the fact that Bush is no conservative by any stretch. He's really only slightly less progressive than most Democrats. And except for the Tea Party Republicans slash Freedom Caucus, you can say that about pretty much every Republican in the political arena these days. And it was Justice Roberts who was the decisive Supreme Court vote preserving uh, Obama's health care overhaul, which we now know as Obamacare. Now, one of the differences between the left and the right is the fact that the right values independent thought. I've talked about the hive mind mentality of the left and the difference between the thinking of the left and the right many times before. But Robert's statement goes right to the heart of that mentality. He's, suge he's not even suggesting. He's basically outright stating as fact that once you put on that black robe, you have no ideology. You have no independent thought, which, again, is ridiculous. Unless, of course, you're a leftist, in which case you are a member of the Borg collective hive mind. And to that point, I don't recall him chastising the notorious RBG, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, when she made her statements about Trump or pushing back on Obama when he criticized the Supreme Court in a State of the Union address. It's time to require lobbyists to disclose each contact they make on behalf of a client with my administration or with Congress. It's time to put strict limits on the contributions that lobbyists give to candidates for federal office. 
With all due deference to separation of powers, last week the Supreme Court reversed a century of law that I believe will open the floodgates for special interests, including foreign corporations, to spend without limit in our elections. Crickets from Roberts after that. But with his statement chastising uh, President Trump, he revealed to everyone what those of us paying attention already knew is that he's just another leftist in a black robe. All right, folks, we're going to go ahead and take a break. And when we get back, we're going to tackle a pretty heavy subject. And that is uh, this case out of Michigan about female genital mutilation. See you on the other side. Welcome back to the Liberty Cast. I'm your host, Big E. And uh, like I said, now we're going to get into something a little heavier. Round two. So I'm sure that those of you that have heard about this case were as incensed as I was when you heard that a federal judge ruled that Congress overstepped when they enacted a federal law against female genital mutilation. U.S. District Court Judge Bernard Freeman Friedman, I'm sorry, granted a defense motion to dismiss charges against two doctors, Jumana Nagarwala and Fakhruddin Attar. These two people uh, were accused of transporting minors across state lines into Detroit with the intent to perform female genital mutilation on these girls. Nagarwala and Attar are members of a Muslim sect called Dawoodi Bora. Uh, they're a sect from India that has um, a significant community in, in Detroit, and they practice female genital mutilation as part of uh, a religious practice. In his ruling, Friedman stated that uh, it's a local crime, and local crimes are generally handled by the states, with a few exceptions. He also stated that due to the nature of the procedure, uh, it could be prosecuted as sexual assault. And as such, there didn't need to be a special law specifically for female genital mutilation. Before I read the ruling, I really couldn't believe what I was hearing on the reports and seeing in the headlines. Uh, I I read the ruling. I didn't read the entire 28-page ruling. Uh, It's a lot of legalese, and I don't claim to be a lawyer or even play one on TV. But after reading the conclusion and after reading... um, the summary, I'm still dumbfounded. At first, I thought I understood the legal reasoning behind it and thought that the judge was trying to respect the Constitution. But after reading the Commerce Clause and the charges against the people, I'm, I'm, I'm thoroughly confused. Article 1, Section 8, Clause 3 of the Constitution grants Congress the power to regulate commerce with foreign nations and among several states and with the Indian tribes. Let me let me back up and, and clarify why I mentioned the Commerce Clause. The reason I'm, I mentioned the Commerce Clause is that the defendants in the case, they filed a motion to dismiss based on the fact that 
they didn't believe that Congress had the authority to ban female genital mutilation. And I'm quoting from their motion to dismiss now. The only potentially applicable sources of congressional power, the Necessary and Proper Clause and the Commerce Clause, do not grant it authority to prohibit female genital mutilation. Case law from uh, a case back in 2005, Gonzalez versus Raich, states that when Congress's authority to legislate under this clause is challenged, the test is whether a rational basis exists for concluding that the activity being regulated substantially affects interstate commerce. Surely transporting girls over state lines to engage in this kind of sexual assault constitutes a federal crime, right? I mean, even if you buy this judge's interpretation, given the facts of the case, one would have to think that justice would prevail and in such circumstances, the prosecution could go forward. And if there's any any sort of dispute, it may be a proviso that any future cases be handled at the state level. I don't know. Like I said, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a legal scholar. But I mean, come on, man. Now, there are 27 states, including Michigan, and they rushed the bill through after this case broke. So the state presumably could refile this case against them. But there are 27 states with laws against this practice, which begs the question, what is up with the other 23? Get it together, y'all. But to that point, we actually now have members of Congress that are advocating for this procedure. Ilhan Omar is the newly elected congresswoman from Minnesota's 5th Congressional District. But prior to her election to the U.S. Congress, she was a member of Minnesota State Legislature. And... She argued against the bill, which would eventually die uh, in the Republican-controlled Senate, which stunned me when I found that out. But I bring her up for a couple of reasons. The first of which is that she's a Muslim and an advocate of Sharia law. Sharia law is incompatible with our Constitution. The process, the procedure of female genital mutilation is a practice of Sharia law. Sharia law is incompatible with our Constitution. So how does somebody who clearly hates our Constitution get elected to national office in this country, even in Michigan? Now, I'm going to say something that a lot of people may disagree with, but I think if you think about it, you'll see that I actually have a decent case. You ready? Here it is. I don't think that naturalized citizens should be able to hold statewide or federal offices. I would say Muslims, but you, you, you can't say that because that would be unconstitutional even though that's what I really mean. But in order to prevent Muslims from holding state or federal offices, I say no naturalized citizens should be able to hold state or federal offices, period. And as of right now, there are two adherents to Sharia law in Congress. At this rate, how long do you think it'll be before a Muslim ends up president? Another Muslim, if you believe the stories. <laughs> exactly. All right, y'all. Um, I'm going to leave that there and we're going to take another quick break. And when we get back, I'm going to talk about Bill Maher and another stupid thing he said. So stay tuned and we'll be right back.
Welcome back, and you're listening to the Liberty Cast. I'm your host, Big E, and now I want to talk about a guy who I never thought would get this much airtime on my show, uh, Bill Maher. Round three. Now, Bill Maher has tried to fashion himself as some sort of cultural and political voice of reason. Like a lot of potheads, drug users, he thinks that his use of the drug um, is has enlightened his mind and that he's somehow more enlightened and, and is more intelligent than anyone else. And he feels he needs to bestow that intelligence upon us. I just think he's an idiot pothead. But he said something... Uh, in a blog post on his real-time blog earlier this week that irritated me to no end. Now, I mentioned Stan Stan Lee's passing um, in my last podcast, and as regular listeners know by now, I'm a comic book nerd, and Stan Lee's Marvel comics were by far my favorite. Based on my social media feeds and people that I deal with in real life on a regular basis, the day Stanley died was a sad day. I know it was for me, and, and I know it was for, for the people that I associate with. I'm pushing 50 years old, as are most of my friends. There were some social justice warriors who took shots at him after he died, calling him a racist and whatnot. But in Bill Maher's blog post, he said the following, and I'm quoting, The guy who created Spider-Man and the Hulk has died, and America is in mourning. Deep, deep mourning for a man who inspired millions to, I don't know, watch a movie, I guess. Now, I have nothing against comic books. I read them now and then when I was a kid and when I was all out of Hardy Boys. But the assumption everyone had back then, both the adults and the kids, was that comics were for kids. And when you grew up, you moved on to big boy books without the pictures. That statement alone proves his ignorance of the medium. And I'll expand on that in a minute. But listen to what Bill Maher said in what I guess was supposed to be a clarification because he got a ton of backlash for that. Uh, But instead of a clarification, he just ended up doubling down. First of all, I just found out about this. I'm so just found out that people got mad. Yeah, I'm I'm so glad that I don't follow social media like that. Every stupid thing they had to tell me today about lose their shit about. Yes. But talk about making my point for me. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I don't know very much about Stan Lee, and it certainly wasn't a swipe at Stan Lee. It was you a, liked him. He's a nice guy. He really yeah, of course. Him. Fine. I, I'm agnostic on Stan Lee. I, <laughs> I, I don't read comic books. I didn't even read them when I was a child. Uh, what I was saying is a culture that thinks that comic books and comic book movies are profound meditations on the human condition <laughs> is a dumb f-ing culture. And for people to like get mad at that just proves my point. Seems like old Bill needs to lay off the pot because he said in his blog post that he, he read them as a kid and then there he just said that he didn't. So he's a liar. But he and other social justice warriors that have trashed Stanley have absolutely no idea who he was and how much of a giant in the industry he was and how he was universally liked and respected. He was the furthest thing from a racist. He, he created the Black Panther character during the height of the civil rights movement uh, 
and made him a powerful king, a technological genius, and perhaps the richest man in the Marvel Universe. He was basically the black Tony Stark with more money. Now, obviously, uh, this is a fictional universe. I'm not suggesting that there is anything real about it. But this is about Stan Lee and the universe that he did create. Not only did he create Black Panther as a character, but he created characters like Power Man Luke Cage, Storm Aurora Monroe, Falcon Sam Wilson, and Goliath Dr. Bill Foster. Now these are not silly caricatures of black people. They're strong, powerful, intelligent characters who happen to be black. I had a number of people tell me in, that their views on race and equality were shaped in varying degrees by the characters and the stories created by Stanley. A lot of people were inspired to learn to read because of the characters that Stanley created. That's a legacy that old pothead Bill will never hope to leave behind. Now, the first time somebody told me about how their views on race and equality were in part shaped by comic books, I was, I was kind of surprised. I was stunned. I could spend hours talking about Stan Lee and the, the world that he and Jack Kirby created and, and how they can be interpreted in the real, real world and how many of the concepts and stories he wrote and inspired are allegorical. So to hear people like Bill Maher and other social justice warriors trash Stanley's memory is just maddening. Like I said, I could go on and on, but I'm just going to leave that there. And when we get back, we'll get you out of here with some quick hits. Welcome back to the Liberty Cast. Let's uh, get into some quick hits. So Hillary Clinton, in a recent interview, said that the media needed to get smarter about holding to account a president who is a master of diversion and distraction. Wow. There is so in that little sentence, there is so much to break down. But she went on to say that Trump has a strong streak of racism that goes back to his early years. What? Okay, remember this? What do you think of Cory Booker's, and you didn't comment on him and your feel free? Oh, I, I adore yeah, him. What do you think about him saying, kick them in the shins, essentially? Start to get to that kind of political... Well, that was Eric Holder. Yeah, Eric Holder. Oh, Eric Holder, yeah. sorry. Yeah, I know they all look alike. No, they don't. <laughs> what a hypocrite. And that wasn't even the first time. There's this, too. Thanks for the endorsement, Bill. Took you long enough. Oh, snap! I was running on CP time. Cautious politician time. Yeah, that's a bit of a pot kettle situation. Uppercut. So Ivanka Trump got herself into a bit of trouble this week when it was revealed that she used a personal email address to send emails to White House aides and her staffers. Should she have known better? 
Yes, of course she should have, especially given the relentlessness with which her father beat up Hillary Clinton uh, in the press over her use of private emails. So the optics of Ivanka's private email account is bad, but there are a few key distinctions that we need to make. First, she didn't set up a private server in her home or wherever, wherever it was set up in an attempt to bypass government records laws. Her email address was set up on Microsoft's Office 365 platform, which means, among other things, that those emails cannot be deleted. She also didn't send or receive classified information uh, with, this e with this email address. Reporting indicates that she communicated with staffers about travel and the logistics issues with respect to the care of her children. Hardly matters of national security. If you notice, though, this didn't last long in the news cycle because it was a giant nothing burger. And I, I, I initially thought I was going to have this in the main body of, of the podcast, but um, I didn't want to spend a whole lot of time on it. But I wanted to mention it to point out the hypocrisy of the left. The American people are sick and tired of hearing about your damn emails. Thank you. Me too. Me too. Now, the left-wing media tried to frame this as the administration being hypocritical. But while Ivanka and Hillary Clinton's situations are similar, and again, Ivanka should have known better, but there are distinct differences where I would say that Ivanka demonstrated poor judgment or a lack of self-awareness, but Clinton was actively trying to circumvent the law. And the differences between those two circumstances could not be more stark. Ivo! I want to circle back to something that I mentioned earlier on in the podcast with respect to Ilhan Omar. Now, I brought her up then because I was making a point about naturalized citizens making, uh, being elected to high office. But there was also a situation with her this week uh, that I wanted to bring up as well, and that had to do with, with Twitter and Laura Loomer getting banned from Twitter for criticizing Ilhan Omar. For those of you not familiar with Laura Loomer, she uh, is a former uh, Project Veritas operative, and she is now a conservative investigative journalist, often described by the left-wing media as a conspiracy theorist. I haven't noticed any of that in her reporting. To me, she just seems like a journalist who is exposing the left for what they really are, and the media can't have that. Twitter can't have that. But I brought up Ilhan Omar because she's a Muslim, an advocate for female genital mutilation. She hates Jews. She hates Israel. Well, I guess that's kind of redundant because she is a Muslim after all. But Ilhan Omar and Louis Farrakhan tweet about Israel being an apartheid state, hypnotizing the world with their evil, calling Jews termites. But Laura Loomer tweets out something that says that Ilhan Omar is pro-Sharia law, which she is, pro-female genital mutilation, which, as I stated earlier on, she advocated for. She's an adherent to Sharia law. Under Sharia, homosexuals are oppressed and thrown off buildings when they're found out, mind you. Women are abused under Sharia and forced to wear a hijab. All of that is true. There is nothing about that that is false. And facts do not care about your feelings, as Ben Shapiro likes to say. So if you're tweeting out something that's true, how can that get you banned from Twitter? And yet Omar and Farrakhan are still on Twitter tweeting out their ridiculousness. I'm going to get into that uh, in the next week. 
not this case specifically, but Twitter and, 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 and what's going on with them and why we need an alternative. But folks, that is all the time we have. So uh, let me know what you thought in the comments section. Hit me up on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at the Liberty Cast. It's the same across all platforms. Let me know if you want to hear me talk about a specific subject. Let me know if you think I made any mistakes. Let me know if you think I'm wrong on anything. Uh, let me know so we can talk about it. But with that, I will just say thank you all for listening. And as usual, keep your head on a swivel and stay safe, everybody. Thank you.